0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me yet again my co-host Paul Doroshenko.
1: Hi Kyla, how are you doing?
0: Probably better than you.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sick.
0: Yeah, do you have COVID?
1: I've tested myself twice. I haven't tested myself today. I'm going to test again Um, but I've been um, not going into the office. Yesterday I went into the office and I was locked away in a separate space and then I just came back home and I was in bed and I slept at least five hours during the day yesterday feels like a really bad summer cold and Mm -hmm. I'm heavily medicated
0: okay well that's not so bad
1: it's not great
0: (laughs) well yeah I mean compared to the you know alternative of having actual COVID
1: Oh, we have another COVID wave going through. I mean, I'll test myself again tonight. It it just feels like a cold. Like, I I haven't got a headache. Mind you, I'm medicated. Um, My sense of taste is the same as a cold. My, you know, clogged up nose and confused and fatigue is the same as a cold. So who knows? Maybe I have COVID. If I do, I will infect my entire family. And hopefully I won't infect the people at work. Another person, Leo, who works with us. Um had similar symptoms a few days ago, and he too tested himself and never got a positive covid so i think it's a i think it's a it's a man cold
0: it's a man cold oh well, can't believe you haven't been admitted to hospital
1: I'm surprised, but I wouldn't go down to the hospital right now anyway there's no doctors there uh if you were to go to the hospital and go to emergency, you'd probably spend eleven hours in uh sitting in a hallway waiting to be seen mm-hmm. It's a terrible situation we have.
0: It is, but that's medical law, not driving law.
1: True. And this is the driving law podcast, so we should get into some driving law.
0: Yes. Well, I thought we would start by talking about an Ontario Court of Appeal decision. It's about a month old. Um, but it's very interesting because it's driving law slash murder.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's not it's not as connected to driving law as some of them, but uh Interesting case, Regina and Cohen, um, the uh, Andrew Cohen and Edward Witt uh, are gambling and they're depressed guys and their life is not going great, I guess. That's lots of people these days. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, they drank a lot. Did you read it?
0: Yep, I'm reading it right now. They drank yeah. a lot.
1: Yeah, um, and then they and then decided they- to go for a drive and there was discussion about suicide. Yep. And then uh, whether or not there was a suicide pact. Yeah. And then Cohen drives his truck off the road and crashes somehow into the second floor of a nearby building. And Witt's in the passenger seat and Witt dies and Cohen lives.
0: Yep. So he's he's charged charged with murder. First degree murder, which like to me seems a stretch in the sense that like for it to be first degree murder, it has to be planned and deliberate and okay. Driving your vehicle off the road to kill yourself and your passenger, deliberate, but is it planned? Like, this all seems very
1: impulsive. Well, not just that, Um, you know, he's trying to kill himself at the same time, you know, it's a murder pact, the two of them have decided, and and yeah, suicide pact, and the two of them have decided to, to die this way, and the other, you know, the passenger is as much of a participant in it as anything. Yep. Um, and just because the guy happens to live, he ends up charged with first degree murder, which is a weird fact pattern. That's for sure. And, you know, all the time, anytime I'm, I'm you know, the, the one place I can muse about fact patterns is when I'm conducting um, hearings with the superintendent of motor vehicles. And I'm often commenting to the adjudicators, look how many of these we do. And look, that the fact pattern is somehow different every time. Exactly. <laughs> but this is weirder than most, right? Yeah. In anyway, any event.
0: He didn't end ahead. up, Cowan didn't end up convicted of first degree murder. He did end up convicted of, of second degree murder, which fits. It's a sense. second degree murder. Um, and he was sentenced to life in prison, 10 years, no parole. Um, and he appealed. And the reason for the appeal is
1: very interesting, interesting. yeah. And so we often think of the connection between the bench and the bar. Um, You know, the the chief judge of our province has said, we we always try and remember judges that we're really just lawyers and this is just our job for a while. We're we're judges now. Um, And of course, you know, members of the bar, uh, often know or can be friends with members of the bench and you know I every once in a while I get a, the occasional phone call from a judge which is a social call um, I don't really hang out with judges but lots of lawyers do or have some connection especially the lawyers who have been crown counsel for a long time a lot of their you know they're friends with people who become judges and it turns out the prosecutor here was pretty close friends with the judge yep
0: they're and close in fact that they had agreed not to um, uh, not to uh, be on the same cases.
1: Yeah, so there was an agreement, and these agreements often, um, sometimes it's just uh, you know I'm not going to be on a case in front of that judge, or I just don't want to take anything from that lawyer for a while, and they'll tell a a, a, a a trial schedule or that. But in this case, they had an agreement. Um, and I don't know when it expired. Most of the time, it's an agreement that expires, right? Like, the next five years, that we work together. I don't want to be in the, this judge's courtroom because I don't want there to be an appearance of bias. Uh, yeah. But they had an agreement, and who knows what happened to it. Uh, but here they are conducting this trial.
0: Yeah, but it, it's even worse, Paul, because the only reason that this even came to light Was because after the conviction, but before the sentencing, the judge and the prosecutor and the prosecutor's articling student went out for drinks together. And the articling student was like, this seems weird. The judge, uh, the judge two times while they're out. This is according to evidence that later came out two times while they were out together the judge commented that uh, they were fine having drinks together as long as the defense lawyer doesn't walk in.
1: Yeah, that's not good. I didn't see that, but... Oh.
0: Yeah, and the judge also said <clears throat> to the prosecutor and the articling student that she had asked other judges about the defense lawyer before the trial began. Oh, goodness. Yeah, they briefly uh, discussed the case. Uh, the judge kind of made fun of the prosecutor because apparently he was like not able to keep his facial expressions in check. And this whole thing made the articled student so uncomfortable that the next morning she immediately reported it to her principal. And Who was then, there with her? No, her principal was not the... not okay. the.
1: So she wasn't, that wasn't her principal at the, it was there. She was an article student for the crown. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, it wasn't even until the next appearance after um, uh, after the conviction that the crown told defense counsel that he and the judge had gone to dinner. So
1: yeah. Well, that's pretty bad. It's
0: pretty bad. I've been in
1: small towns where the judge is there having dinner. And, you know, you might say hi, you might not. Um, if you were more friendly with them, I would have no problem uh, going out after a trial. Usually I would think though defense and crown, you know, judge takes everybody out when it's over. Um, judge going out after dinner and saying it's all fine so long as the defense doesn't see us. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah, the Court of Appeal It's in Ontario said this. Laren Ducharme, no relation to defense counsel Patrick Ducharme, began work as an articling student at the Crown office on July 31st, 2017. The appellant's trial started the same day. She attended the trial until the jury announced its verdict on August 23rd, 2017. She was invited to and attended the drinks meeting that night. She is therefore an informed person viewing the matter realistically and practically, and having thought the matter through. In the context of this appeal, Ms. Ducharme prepared an affidavit. She was cross-examined on this affidavit. In response to a question, she said, I knew that there was something odd about the circumstances for sure, because the case had not been completed. And I also knew that the trial judge would be determining the parole ineligibility of the accused. So that definitely was uncomfortable and felt wrong for me. Ms. Ducharme was right.
1: Cool. You know, how right. She was.
0: Cool. Oh, man. Uh, talk about like the balls, though. Like this is the beginning of her the first month of her articles and she sees something wrong and does something about it.
1: Well, it could have backfired for her big mm-hmm. time. I mean, yep. it really could have backfired. And you never know. This might still backfire for her. She might still get face retribution among the bar. Um, you know, there may be prosecutors who don't like this. Who knows? I mean, you you and I are looking at it and saying a right minded person would think that this is the appropriate course of action that she t- took. But a lot of people might chastise her for it.
0: Yeah. And there <laughs> is, you know, uh, a thing that many people call like the finest traditions of the bar, where what one might refer to as the old guard, um, where the old guard
1: Thinks things are okay that others would not.
0: Yeah, it feels that stuff like that is okay. And that, you know, there is this sort of generation of lawyers and judges, prosecutors, Crown Counsel, um, who will get together for um, social events and gossip about other people. I've had messages come back to me about these events, and I've heard about them from other people.
1: Yep, I know.
0: So, you know, if you're if you're a judge and you're listening to this podcast and you're, you know, off before your trial in the back room going, "Hey, have you ever had so and so in your courtroom before? What are they like?" You you probably shouldn't be doing that.
1: No judges listen to the podcast. So, problem solved.
0: Problem solved. No judges <laughs> Care enough to listen to our podcast.
1: <laughs> well, they don't care about what we have to say. I'm sure they care enough about lots of things, and probably care about this, but,
0: um. but, you know, this. this raises an important point too, which is like, you know what what it takes for a determination that a judicial actor was biased, even though in this case there was a conviction that was found by a jury. So the conviction itself, like the jury made the decision on the evidence. Of course, the judge would have made rulings about the admissibility of pieces of evidence, um, objections and and things like that. But, you know, the jury is the one who decided whether or not the, the accused was guilty at the end of the day. And the judge imposed a sentence that was the minimum for that offense. They didn't go above... The mandatory minimum so
1: jury made the decision and where's the wrong um yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. i mean i i think the wrong is pretty clear and and any reasonable person looking at it would think that there's a problem and that's what the court came to the conclusion um i'm just surprised that the crown argued it that they didn't just it you know the, 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 there had to have been an uh, affidavit file to get this moving, right? She wasn't yeah. just put on the witness stand.
0: No, there was an so, affidavit in the article, the student.
1: Yeah. So you would think the affidavit would have been sufficient at that point. You know, what are they going to do? They're going to go talk to their, the prosecutor ran it. And what's he going to do? He's going to confirm. Yeah, that's what happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you would think at that point, they would have said, okay, well, you guys screwed up terribly here. And we've got to uh we've got to concede this appeal.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. But so
1: they, they ran it to the Court of Appeal, which is, I mean, hugely embarrassing for the judge. Yeah. Um, and um Judge Kelly A. Gorman at the uh Superior Court of Justice sitting with the jury.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, it's embarrassing for the judge, also embarrassing for the prosecutor, especially because he got suspended from work as a result of it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, you know, putting an article student through this, this is just not fair. I mean, having to have her come and and uh, provide, you know, go through that. I mean, it doesn't look like she testified at the Court of Appeal. It was in the factum, wasn't it? Or did she testify?
0: She testified at the Court of Appeal.
1: Yeah. So she was cross-examined on the affidavit.
0: Yeah, she was cross-examined on her affidavit, and that's why the court yeah. of Appeals concludes by saying she was right. Yeah, it was wrong. Um. Anyway, well, very
1: cross-examination by crown.
0: A murder. A murder in a car that leads to a finding of judicial bias. You don't see that every day.
1: No, that's a pretty rare one.
0: Weird. As, speaking of appeals, there's also another appeal out of Alberta involving a um uh careless driving charge
1: uh-huh.
0: this one didn't quite go in the uh, accused's way, so no. <laughs> yeah. um this involved a uh police officer with the Calgary police um who was driving a pickup truck who ran over a jaywalking pedestrian twice. Don't
1: I don't like know this. quite how you do that um. Yeah.
0: That's what I don't understand. Um, but the uh, court I don't
1: think that's fleshed out in the case, is it? I don't know. Yeah,
0: it's explained a little bit. So um, uh, Lawrence Mooney, Officer Mooney, um, is driving and he drives over this guy, Evangelos Lagudis, while reversing into a curbside parking spot. So he's essentially like parallel parking, runs <laughs> over this guy you think he'd be good at this, being a police officer, but no. Thinks he's hit a snowbank, doesn't bother to, like, get out and check. So he pulls forward and then starts to reverse back and runs over the guy a second time.
1: This happened to a girlfriend of mine. Really? She was a kid. Yeah, she was a kid. Colette, she was uh, playing behind her parents' car in the driveway. She's, like, playing jacks or something like that. <laughs> her mom backed up, ran over her legs. She screamed. Her mom put it back into gear and drove forward, ran over her legs again. She sure. Was fine. She was fine, just scratched up, bruised, and probably sore. Well,
0: Mr. Lagudis was not <laughs> fine. He had pelvic and rib fractures, lacerations through his liver, spleen, and kidneys. Mm,
1: yeah, that's bad. You know, not, not bad. police officer. So, where did they, why did this end up as an appeal? I guess. Was he uh, convicted or acquitted?
0: He was acquitted at trial. So Mm -hmm. at trial, the trial judge um, determined that uh, there was no evidence that he'd been careless. Like he was driving, he was reversing into a parking spot normally. He came to a conclusion, he pulled forward, he backed up, he didn't hear screaming. It's no big deal. He wasn't careless. It was just like mistaken, I guess. And he said that the officer was being held to an impossible standard of perfection for the brief time that he was behind the wheel.
1: Well, we have a different standard for this than they do in, in uh, Alberta. It's the, uh, what is it, the H- Traffic Safety Act or the Highway Traffic Act or something like that. In Alberta, they use the careless driving provision that was the same one in England, and ours has been modified to driving without due care and attention. So there's yeah. due in there. It's a slightly different circumstance. But in Alberta, I think the assumption is there has to be an offence committed at the same time, you're careless and an offense was committed. Is that yeah. not the state uh, of the law? In Alberta? Yeah.
0: No, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, so the the issues on the leave to appeal question, and the appeal itself has not been decided yet. So this is only whether or not the crown has a right of appeal, um, which they were granted. Um, and he was convicted under section 115, sub two of the traffic safety act and sections 41, two and 32 of the rules of the road regulation.
1: Which are don't back up after, over somebody and then drive forward over them again.
0: Uh, so section 115 of the traffic safety act provides that a person shall not drive a vehicle on a highway in a manner that constitutes driving carelessly and the offense of careless driving in Alberta consists of, one, that the accused is driven in a manner prohibited by the legislation, and two, the conduct must be of such a nature that it can be considered to be a breach of, uh, of duty to the public and deserving of punishment. So, yeah, you do have to, like, do something that violates a rule of the road as set out in the rules of the road regulation.
1: Or any other legislation with respect to driving, I think. Yes. So I, I you know, there, there there's carelessness that's not necessarily violating a rule of the road.
0: Yeah. And so there's like yeah. an unanswered question, apparently, in Alberta about whether the Crown needs to prove blameworthy conduct on the part of the accused. Um, in, of course, in all of the other provinces, um, we... You know, like in B.C., that's blameworthy conduct isn't isn't required. It's just a lack of care and attention. But Alberta has always required somebody to actually be blameworthy for their conduct on the road.
1: So we often discuss it as a negligence offense that has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt in B.C. In Alberta, yeah. it seems to be there has to be an offense that was committed. At least that's the way. And I don't think it's just Alberta. There's other provinces that, that mirror this wording. This
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that there that there is an element of of blameworthiness required in Alberta. This will be a very interesting case to see um, how it, it plays It's it. a low
1: standard of blameworthiness, is my understanding. Like, sure, yeah. but
0: still, like, I mean, we we see people in BC here convicted of driving without due care and attention for doing something that isn't. Necessarily blameworthy, like for example, you know, turning left and not shoulder checking and hitting somebody, um, you know, that's not blameworthy, it's just not careful. And well, I
1: mean, there's one guy who was convicted for looking down at his radio at a bad time,
0: yeah, from
1: causing yeah. inflation.
0: How do you know that the child's going to run out in front of your car when you know when you look down to adjust the radio station, right? Like, you can't know those things. I don't know if he and then
1: again there's also cases there's also case law in bc that says look if you were if you were diligently doing something and you made a bad a bad uh a boo-boo a bad yeah a bad a booboo.
0: Booboo.
1: <laughs> well no no you, you i mean you're driving along and you you may get a, a tactical error something doesn't work out and as a result you end up in a situation that's that's uh, unsafe or even causes an accident. I mean, we we all make mistakes when driving. It's it's whether or not you're paying attention as you're doing it. Yeah. Or, or not not showing any care and attention to other people on the road. If you're showing care and attention to other people and you end up with an accident, it doesn't mean you drove without due care and attention. That's what I'm saying.
0: No. But I don't know. I think, you know, there is some merit in <laughs> the idea that there has to be some standard of blameworthiness. Because the consequences... For the driving without due care or the careless driving offenses, you know, yeah, it can be a, a fine, but oftentimes it's a fine and a lengthy driving prohibition. And there are recent cases even out of BC where it's not just a fine and a lengthy driving prohibition, but it's also a fine and a lengthy driving prohibition and some jail time.
1: Ridiculously long driving prohibition with respect to that woman who was convicted of overcrossing the road the senior up in Terrace or Smithers, wherever that was.
0: Exactly. So I don't know. I think this case out of Alberta might be very interesting to watch because if the Alberta court of appeal is attempting to reconcile disparities in the law, here's the other thing, why this is important. If it's attempting to reconcile disparities in provincial statutory provisions that are aimed at the same type of conduct on the road, but are worded differently and thus given different interpretations but are but is looking to the interpretations in other provinces to reconcile that it may end up being a case that goes to the Supreme Court of Canada on an issue of national importance
1: that's interesting it's possible yeah. i wonder if we'll ever hear what happens of it <laughs> you know because this is it right the court of appeal has just sent it back. So
0: no, they haven't on this question. No, 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 they haven't sent it back. It's this was an application to to grant leave to appeal.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So the I'm court of thinking. appeal yeah, is sent in to the crown to appeal. Was mm-hmm. a one judge panel. It'll be a three judge panel at the hearing.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah, I misunderstood. That's correct. Yeah. Well, makes sense. So maybe they're setting it up. Uh, or maybe they're looking at it and saying, here's the case that we need to sort out this issue of whether or not we have to have some offense committed or other blameworthy conduct and how do we resolve this. And it's a important thing because careless driving provisions are used a lot more than they ever were. Mm-hmm. Think how many 144, one a one forty four one B tickets we defend in a year compared to a few years ago. And it's, it's, you know, we've been, I've been defending tickets for 22 years and, and you've been doing it for 10 or 11 and it's really, the numbers are up. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I've actually,
0: you've been doing it since I was a summer student because I had this lawyer in the office who wanted me to defend their ticket. Wasn't me. <laughs> It's privileged.
1: Not, not for one forty four a.
0: No, not for one forty four a. But I've been depending you on. my
1: ticket, but you weren't a student. You were a lawyer.
0: <laughs> no, I was a summer student.
1: No, no, you were you were a lawyer. You were it was well no. into my lawyerly into your lawyerly career.
0: No, 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 no! It was my very first time in traffic court.
1: Look now, you're now you're you're revealing so much information that your client could be identified as me.
0: You said, um, you. you said I defended your ticket. <laughs> I uh I, I I've decided you're gonna waive privilege on it.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It was a long time ago and you did a great job and uh and the police officer didn't show up.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, you benefit from the presumption of innocence. So all you yeah. are is an innocent man.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I ran into the police officer after he gave me the ticket a few months later and he knew me and I knew him. And I said, Why do you give me that ticket? And he said what? I said he gave me a ticket. He hadn't even looked at me. He didn't shriver me. He, he took my license and it just didn't click in his mind. Really? That was you? I didn't even think of it. So good luck on ID. Yep. Good luck. Indeed. Maybe that's probably why he didn't show up. Anyway, he's a very nice guy and I'm sure he had something else that was more important than my red light ticket. I was innocent.
0: I I believe you were innocent. I 100% believe your story if you pay me to believe it. <laughs>
1: Not quite how it works. I, anyway, I
0: don't remember the facts of your case in any way shape or form.
1: So, going to traffic court every day. The ridiculous
0: driver of the week. The
1: week, the week, the week, the week. Um, bad drivers.
0: Traffic uh, court. It's time the ridiculous for... driver of the week. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: you don't sound so excited
1: i'm i well i'll tell you actually i look for the ridiculous driver of the week and i always send you some and mm-hmm. you know the uh sometimes over the course of the week i found some really hilarious ones sometimes mm-hmm. i found some that are not so hilarious and are in between and i'm wondering whether or not you'll choose them and often you find some that are better uh, but I will tell you, when I started looking this week, <clears throat> you know, I have my normal search terms. Mm-hmm. I hadn't just found one during the course of the week uh, with the Google alerts and things like that that I use. And it was really depressing. The stories that are out there right now, so many bad accidents, people hurt, um, just gruesome things. And and I just got to say, um, you know, everybody who's thinking about heading out on the road encourage everybody else to drive safely because I think in our this period of the pandemic people are not um being very careful and it's causing lots of bad accidents so that's why I'm not excited about it but now I want to know who you picked if it was one you found or if it was one I found
0: it was um uh it was one that you picked and it it was uh the drunk driver uh, who drove through police tape at an active
1: <laughs> Okay, so that one was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you had like the, the Porsche that was speeding a lot, 177 miles per hour. Eh, Porsches go fast. Like it's, yeah. that, that to me right. is not ridiculous. I mean, 177 miles per hour is very fast. But
1: 285 kilometers an hour. But yeah, this crime scene one's pretty funny. And But this is the second one we had. Remember a little while back, we had somebody who, drove into a crime scene like there was a it was an active crime scene like there was a a a person holed up in a house and there was tape all over the place and she was drunk in a golf cart and drove into the crime scene
0: yep well this is a sioux falls north south dakota man um joshua rome uh who got charged with dwi reckless driving plus he had a bunch of outstanding warrants from iowa so you know he's making good choices (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, there was an an officer involved shooting that was being investigated on the I twenty nine interchange, and uh, the whole area was cordoned off by police tape. There were officers everywhere. There was like a huge police presence.
1: Police cars, you can imagine, all over the place with lights, lighting. going, yeah. So
0: just the whole shebang and here comes Joshua driving at a high rate of speed through a parking lot through the police tape the cops are yelling at him stop 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 and eventually he does slow down and comes to a stop basically in the middle of the crime
1: scene yeah like right in the spot where they like (laughs) right in the middle where they're the spot they've got cordoned off that they're taking photographs of and doing all the measurements to I Here's mean where he parks his car. At it's least kind
0: of evidence. <laughs> it
1: it kind of makes me think of Leslie Nielsen and police squad. He looks yeah. like the nicest guy in the world, uh, in his photo. Very yeah, friendly mugshot.
0: He does. He does look nice. So, yeah. you know, he gets points for um seeming to be a good guy.
1: Well being, <laughs> you know, friendly looking. You know, I mean that's uh, those guys who have like the tattoos and 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 white supremacy tattoos on their foreheads i run into those those ones each week when i'm looking for the ridiculous driver and i never pick them i saw this guy's friendly face joshua and and i thought "Eh, just a mistake
0: (laughs) other than the big like shitty shit eating grin that he's got on his face like there's not actually a lot of um like he doesn't look drunk like his face isn't flushed, his eyes are not bloodshot
1: no he looks fine and i think they just said cheese when he they took his photo it's not a shit eating grin shit eating grin he's just a friendly guy
0: okay
1: <laughs> hey josh just give us a big smile for your for yeah. your mugshot here
0: josh yeah. i hope you're not a fan of uh of the podcast because you won't like being featured but
1: Well it's interesting because there's every so many all these mugshots all over the internet, you know, Gordon Campbell's mug shot and that. And you wonder if you could ever live it down once you've got a mug shot on the internet. My gosh, it's like it's talk about ruin your life. Any job you're looking for, they're Googling. Yep. I guess, you know, there there are still options to be self-employed and a TikTok star. Hey, how's your TikTok going?
0: Good. I'm popular on TikTok, I guess, for you know, for lawyers on TikTok. There you go. There you go. Um, well, some,
1: pe- some people don't like you on TikTok. I noticed they don't like that. They think that it's wrong. They were going to send it to your employer.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, they can they can go right ahead. I'm, yep. uh, I'm just fine with that. Um, so, yeah, that's our podcast. If you have any need to get in touch with us, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com. Or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.